Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back once again to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay, and it's great to have you joining us this week. Uh, once again, if, if you're an audio listener, uh, you can't tell it, but I'm looking <laughs> you right in the eyes, and I'm inviting you to check out some videos that we're posting on YouTube. Again, we're we're experimenting with some things. We've, we've uh, really been encouraged by some feedback we've gotten, so we're glad that this is serving you, and uh, we love to have these conversations, because that's what we do on The Cutting room floor as we continue the conversation that started on Sunday in the sermon as we're opening up God's word and digging more deeply into that. And of course, I love to do that with you, Pastor Jim. So it's good to be here with you. Delight. Delight. So this week we are in the fourth week of our What's Your Next Step excursion. And Mm -hmm. so we're, we're talking all about as a church, how can we be a church as we're living as disciples of Jesus, who's being defined by taking our next step in becoming more and more like him. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've, I've loved some of this recasting of that vision. And as we've been looking at what is it like to be like Christ, we've looked at being connected to God through the word and prayer. We've looked at having a heart of worship. And now on this past, in this past week, this last Sunday, we looked at relating with other centered love, which is something we see, of course, in Jesus. And we were in a number of texts this week. And and just some of the first questions that I want to dig into as we're um, going deeper into this idea uh, have to do with some of those passages that we were in. And so... One of the first ones was John chapter 13. Oh, man. Which is... <laughs> love that chapter, that whole section. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I wondered, just as a first question to get us, you know, thinking more deeply about the text is, can you bring us into the context of John 13, which which uh, you did actually two weeks ago when we were in John 15 and connected oh, with God to the, through yeah. the word and prayer. But right, right, right. bring us back into that. What's going on in the Gospels at that point and... Mm. Um, and maybe we'll just start there with the conversation. Yeah, it, it's some of the most moving drama in all of of the Bible, in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, because Jesus knows what's about to happen, and yeah. the disciples are completely clueless. <laughs> and that's part of the tension: is that right. as you know, we read John thirteen through eighteen or further, and from this side of the cross, and we know that's the last night. You know, this stuff that Jesus is saying is so loaded, you know, and at the same time, we know that the disciples, no fault of their own, they had, they are, they're not grasping the gravity of the evening. Right. And it's, it's also a, a way for us to see how John seemed to grasp more about the love of Jesus. You know, of course, now he said that, you know, he's the, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And we talk about John as being the apostle of love. Which um, does not sound like a, it kind of sounds like a person who's, uh, you know, making hits in R&B music or something. The Apostle <laughs> of Love. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, John just, he just loves to talk about love. Mm-hmm. And this, this section is loaded with it. And it's even set up by uh, John saying that Jesus is now going to show them the full extent of his love. That's his setup Mm. for this last night before Jesus dies, where the Passover, this is just the regular yearly celebration of the Passover, gets freighted 
with all kinds of new meaning that Jesus is giving. So John looks back and goes, I get it. He was explaining, he was showing, washing the feet, you know, getting ready to die for their sins. He was explaining and showing the full extent of his love. So mm. everything that we see from then on, we're like, yeah, just just builds uh, as Jesus shares more, as he prophesies, as he tells them what's about to happen, as he washes their feet, um, and as he, you know, uh, begins to do this discourse about love and about a new command I give to you, and, yeah. and then later on about the Holy Spirit who helps us love and Whew, it's just it's just so rich. Yeah. And so yeah, this this is this is the context of Jesus saying, A new command I give you. And you know, it's 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 interesting that this is the celebration of Passover, mm-hmm. which is the the launching of Israel out of Egypt, the Exodus uh out of Egypt, and then on the way to the promised land, uh, there's the there's the giving of the law. So these are the old commands. Yeah. So in the evening where you're celebrating how God gave us the law and, and delivered us and brought us out of Egypt and brought us into covenant relationship, it's almost as if Jesus, one of the things that he's doing, because there's so much double entendre you know, in this evening. <laughs> right. One of the things he's doing is, you know, okay, you, Moses got the old, got mm-hmm. the law, and that's, that's important. A new command, a new commandment I give to you. Yeah. And that one commandment, you know, it's like it summarizes all of the Ten Commandments that Moses got. Yes. Uh, so, you know, this a new command, love one another. And then in just in just such, such a short phrase, as I have loved you. That right there is a packed phrase. Mm-hmm. All the ways that Jesus loved. And, um, and this is why I sometimes say something maybe stupid or silly about how, you know, Christians are not supposed to be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to say that we're not supposed to be nice. I'm just trying to say that's not the definition of love. Right. The definition of love is watch how Jesus loved, you know, how he sacrificed and how he engaged with people and how he gave of himself. And yes. Not just at the cross, but in conversation and how he listened and how he confronted and and how his his love had, you know, teeth. His love had, you know, meaning. And it's just, it's it's a it's a crime to water the love of Jesus down to being a nice person. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sometimes, I think I said that in the sermon about, you know, where Jesus not die so we could be nice. You know, <laughs> uh, I wasn't trying to say we should be mean. I'm just right, saying that right. there's so much more to what love is. Yes. And, um, so yeah, it's a little, kind of get a little context. Yeah. And I think that's so helpful because when you realize, like you're saying the the extent of Jesus's love. And when you realize that the call is not just to love one another. It's to love one another as I have loved you. Yes. yes. Um, and he I, says I remember, that in chapter 15, he says the same phrase, yes. as mm-hmm. I have loved you. And Paul picks it up, you know, yeah. as Christ has loved us, you know, so that became a, a significant phrase in the early church. Yes. Yes. And, and you also, uh, there's another uh, element in that context in the gospel of John that I, I remember way back from, do you remember what year you were preaching through the gospel of John or what oh. number of years? <laughs> yeah, that, that's more like it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's 2017 through 2019. Is that yeah. right? It, well, I think it was a little bit before that actually. Cause I, it was, uh, wow. I was, I was still in high school when you were preaching through was the gospel of what? John. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it was, yeah, it was earlier. So than and, and then a little bit while I was in college, but yeah, I I remember wow, that was a long time ago. You preaching through the beginning of this section, and and John sets up at one point. He says, knowing what was going to take place. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can't quote it exactly, but Jesus is going toward Jerusalem and knowing what's going to be take place, take place. He loves his disciples to the end. Yes. And, uh, that phrase uh, unpacking that. So, so what's, what's happening is everything that's happening between that phrase and the cross, mm-hmm. Jesus is expressing his love to his disciples. Yeah. And also he makes a comment about, uh, being secure in the father's love, knowing that all things had yes. been given, given to him. Yes. So, you know, out of that strength of the security that I'm on a mission from God um, and that I'm loved and this is why I've come. Yeah. That's why we talk about the drama and the poignancy. You know, Jesus knows what's going to happen. And and also we need to talk about the courage of Jesus. Yeah. You know, to step into that. Whew. And, And I think that that's, you know, there's, it's so interesting when we, when we think about, Oh man, do we want to talk about atonement theory or not? <laughs> when we when we think about yeah, we, it'll just take us a couple seconds. Just, we'll yeah, the, just we'll a little long. bit. So the, the the atonement. Well, actually, you know what? Atonement came up in another writing of John that we talked about in our oh, yeah. life group discussions. Yeah, when it says this is how God shows His love by His yes. atoning sacrifice. Yeah, and so there's when we talk about the atonement, there's. You know, we, we, one of the best quotes about the atonement is that it's like this jewel. When you turn it around, mm. you see different elements of the love of God. Yes. One element is um, w- what I think is going on in First John chapter four, which is that Jesus's blood uh, sort of appeases the wrath of God. But there's another element in that Jesus's love is an example for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's that can be kind of put down and, and shoved aside like, man, that's not as important because mm-hmm. it's not objectively securing something for us. And yet, clearly in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is being set up as our example, oh. right? He, love as I have loved you. Absolutely. And so it's back to your comment about there's a difference between being loving and being nice. Um, what, what I find interesting is as we talk about the fruit of the spirit, which you also brought up on Sunday, the fruit of the spirit, which is also our memory verse this week, <laughs> yeah, right. love, joy, peace, forbearance, mm-hmm. according to our, although I, I memorize it with patience, yeah. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm-hmm. goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you pull out when we think about niceness and kindness and mm-hmm. love, uh, I think sometimes those can get all mixed up. Oh boy. And what, what are, because I want to, I want us to be a church that's loving with teeth, Mm -hmm. you know, and not just, um, in these ways that diminish the realities of love and kindness. Yeah. So this kind of loving says difficult things to Mm -hmm. people. It, um, loving enough to confront. I mean, I I read a book like 25 years ago by Myron Augsburger, Mm -hmm. caring enough to confront. Oh yeah. And this whole book is about how the love of Jesus in us should cause us to lovingly approach difficult topics and say, hey, I love you. And that's why I want to talk about this. You know, so I know confront is a strong word, mm-hmm. but um, the way he was talking about it was that it is a confrontive subject, but you do it in a kind way. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's that passage that Paul talks about the the kindness of God leads us to repentance, which mm-hmm. is a good way of talking about how there's a way of loving, there's a way of, of being kind that 
is more about the approach, more about the demeanor, more about the heart than it is the actual subject matter. Hmm. And so, um, you know, sometimes when people talk about love, they're like, well, you, you shouldn't talk about difficult things because that's going to hurt me. Right. And they don't have a con, they don't, their concept of love is that love shouldn't hurt you. Um, but to quote that great theologian, was it um, Uriah the, or I'm trying to think of that great band, um, Uriah Heep? Is, it, is the band know. Uriah Heep? Um, <laughs> uh, love hurts. Was oh, that Tina Turner? I I uh, I'm <laughs> no, that's stinks. We're out of my depth at this point. <laughs> You're not a '70s it's rocker. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Motley Crue. Whatever. It's one of those bands that that talks about you know loving hurt, and of course. You know, um, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. So if my commitment is to niceness, I'm not going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to only say things that are shallow. I'm only going to say things that are not going to create any kind of conflict or any kind of ripple in the relationship. I'm just going to try to keep the peace, you know. Yes. And the Bible never calls us to keep the peace. Some people think that's what it says. No, it's the peace make blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. And there is a a, a a moment of revelation for some people when they go, "Oh, there's a peacekeeping and peacemaking are two different things." Yes, indeed. Um, well, and also when you think about, I'm so glad you brought that language of peace into it because I'm thinking to myself, there's a in the same way that there's this rich difference between. Uh, niceness and love, there's a rich difference between peace and shalom, which is a more biblical way of thinking about, right. you know, it's not just we're, we're trying to avoid conflict. It's the presence of yes. unity and yeah. communion and flourishing. Um, so yeah, it, often the, with the, with the Bible, there's these surface level versions mm-hmm. that we tend to think about, Yeah, you know, like we're at peace cause we're not at conflict, but then there's these deeper realities where it's, well, most of the times we we define peace as the absence of something, the absence right. of war, absence exactly. of conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a time of peace, but the Bible does not define peace that way. It defines peace as the presence of someone. So, mm. so Jesus yeah. says, "My peace I give to you." So that peace is the presence of Christ in conflict, the presence of Christ in difficulty, in war, you know, in challenges, and it's, it reminds me of the the same way we talk about meditation. You know, it's popular in America that's imbibed in some Eastern meditation to we should meditate. What they think, what they talk about when they talk about meditation is emptying your mind of things, emptying your spirit. So you're this empty vessel. Mm-hmm. That is not the biblical concept of meditation at all. It's the exact opposite. It's right. filling ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And so if there's going to be an emptying, it's going to be coming. The emptying is going to have, it's going to happen because I'm filling myself. Like you had a cup of, of Kool-Aid, a cup of milk, and you mm-hmm. pour like water into it. And you, the more you pour in, you you empty out the Kool-Aid. You empty out the milk by your by the presence of the water. Yeah, and that's the peace of God. It fills us, and it's God's it's Christ's presence in us that eradicates fear and eradicates you know other kinds of, of emotions and expressions. And, Absolutely, and sin. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the peace of God is a very can I say this? It can be a very aggressive, which mm. is odd to think of peace and aggressive <laughs> as, you know, having any kind of mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. But think about Ephesians 2.14, where Paul talks about how Christ brought the two to one through the cross, you know, and right, the right. cross is the place of peace, also a place of aggressive love, a place of punishment, a place of 
you know, I, I prefer the word the phrase satisfying the wrath of God versus appeasing the sure. wrath of God. Yeah, um, it almost makes it sound like you know God's against us, and and Jesus comes in and appeases God. You know, settle yeah, down, no, God. Settle down. Fair. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't be so angry at them. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes that's the way people preach that. Right. And that's not right. at all uh, what the wrath of God is. Um, but satisfying mm-hmm. the, the justice. Yeah, that's know? better. And so. So, you know, you start thinking of what the way Jesus loved, the way he peaced, you know, the way he lived. Oh, man, it's just, it gives you a whole new understanding. And this is what he was trying to get the disciples to see. And everybody talks about love, but watch me. Watch how I've loved. This is, yep. this is our last yep. night together. I'm going to dump all kinds of teaching. Remember this. Remember how I loved you. And that's how I want you to love others. You know? Yes. And that will lead us into the other mindedness, the other centeredness, because Jesus lived that out before there was language to describe it. Yes. And that's why it's so appropriate for him to say, as I loved you. And and isn't isn't some of that also, you know, whenever you eat this bread, drink this cup, remember me? Mm-hmm. We're not just remembering the death and the and the suffering. We're also remembering his life, his message. Remember me. Yes. And that's why I like the phrase, learn me. You know, learn Jesus. Mm-hmm. Don't just learn from him, learn about him, learn him. Right. Remember him. And, you know, Paul picks up on that and says to Timothy several times, you know, remember my way, you know, my, my love, my sacrifice, yes. my, you know, my practice, how I lived. Yes. And imitate and that. I, I totally agree. And my, I, I recently was reading a book that talks about kindness. I can't remember the the, maybe it's the key of kindness or something along those lines, but it's nice little alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's talking about contrasting being nice with being kind. Oh, is it? Okay. And it, because, you know, kindness is a fruit of the spirit, love, mm-hmm. joy, peace, patience, mm-hmm. kindness, but niceness is not. It's not? Not that last time I checked, at least not in the NIV. <laughs> you sure? If you've read the Greek on that. Well, I, I, I don't know if I've read the Greek recently on that. Be nice but, to the glory of God. Yeah. But it's the, it, it talks about kindness in terms of like a being generous with yourself. Mm, I like being, that. Having a, a spirit of generosity like toward that. others. Yes. And that's absolutely what we see in the love and in the actions of Jesus is mm-hmm. he's generous with himself. He's self, you know, self-sacrificial stage yeah. four kind of love. Yeah. And that's. You know, once again, dipping into First John chapter four, uh, the the way that God showed us what love is like mm-hmm. is through the sacrifice of His Son and through this the sacrifice how. of Himself. Yes, yes. And so there's this there's this beauty to to Jesus, and, and by contrast, niceties are all surface level, and yeah. it's all trying to keep this veneer. Veneer. That's um, a good word. And in, in a Shallow. sense, then it's you're able to distance yourself because you're able to withhold things yeah. that might otherwise, you know, disturb the peace. Uh, and that's not reflective of Jesus. It's not reflective of the kind of love that God showed when he loved right. us. Right. And so a question that um, I know many, many have had uh, just from my, you know, in my own life group. And also I've, I've encountered this question before, but how how do you love someone with that kind of love when there's a, it, when it's happening in the midst of like a toxic relationship mm, mm. Oh. or, or how do you, how do I love someone? And, and you know, toxic can be defined in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'll I kind of lob that, lob that one up to you and let yeah. you define out how you want to work with those terms. But wh- how do you love well in a toxic relationship? 
Well, for, for, I love, first of all, I love the question. Um, that is one of my uh, constant questions uh, that I've taught over the years is, is me asking God, what does it look like to love this person well mm -hmm. in this situation? And the very nature of that question um, implies strongly that there's not a one size fits all in love. You know, it's not a checklist of, well, make sure you smile, make sure you say nice things, you know, you know, no, the, the kind of love that we're talking about loving in a toxic relationship or loving in the, in the face of difficulty, I need love of another kind. I need to be filled with a love because my nature is to love um, in self-centered ways. I'm hardwired because I'm a sinner to love in self-protective ways, mm -hmm. self-centered ways, self-oriented ways. And um, though all those are the, increasing the toxicity in the relationship yeah, or maybe even introducing it. So uh, I want to be, I want to be very mindful of, of God. Fill me with your love. I, I say things like that. I wrote a song one time about, just for my own sake, you know, yeah. fill me, Lord, with your love. Mm. Um, because I was seeing, is even when I was trying really hard to be like Jesus and, and trying, you know, to live out the things I saw Jesus doing, I realized that I was trying to love out of my own strength, my own resources, mm. even my own knowledge. I thought, you know, I'm learning so much about the love of Jesus. You know, can't I love out of that? And I came to believe, no. Knowledge is very important. I want to know how Jesus loved. I want to watch and learn, but that's not enough. I need to be supernaturally filled with his love. And so that's part of learn to breathe. That's where part of that message came from is, is me failing to love well mm. when I wanted to, my motives were right, yeah. but I, I fell short loving my children, loving my wife, loving people that are close to me. And that was very important to me. I really wanted love well. So that drove me to discovering I need to be in a a contemporary moment by moment, you know, breathing in relationship with God so that that he's filling me with his kind of love. And so that for me, that had to be intentional. I had to be, I had to ask. Mm -hmm. And so in, in a counseling appointment, in a, in a conflict, now I, there's been some times where after a sermon, I've had someone come up to me who's angry and who's combative mm. and they're, they're like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, you know, inviting me into the conflict. That's not like te te teasing me. I'm, I'm not getting the right word. Provoking. Provoking. That's a good, sure. perfect. They're like they're provoking me, you know, mm. and, and me re remembering Jim breathe right here in this moment. God, fill me with love. What does it look like for me to love this guy who's raging mm. in my face? So I'm not reacting. I'm not defending. I'm not, yeah. you know, getting sucked into his rage. Because, you know, after all these years of following Jesus, I can still get sucked into that. Right. And so I need, N-E-E-D, I need to be filled with the love of God. So... So, so I, that's what uh, helps me when I get into a toxic relationship or get into a toxic argument or uh, I'm in a, a situation that it's, boy, we're just, we're in this for the long haul and I'm, I'm just learned to ask God, what does it mean? And so he'll, and so he'll drop a word into my mind. He'll, he'll fill me with, with, a, with a love that enables me to yeah. be compassionate 
to this angry I'm going back to this angry man and and the thought comes in my mind where did this thought come from it came from the holy spirit what's happening in his life that has caused him to be raging like this mm. this guy's coming out of a hurt yeah he's coming out of a pain where did that come from uh, that's not natural for me uh and if if it is it's because it's been trained in me uh that now it's natural but you know the the, the, yeah. the natural gym is to react defend um explain you know but for the Holy Spirit to drop it in mind, what kind, where's, where's he, where, where, why is he hurting? Where, where is he hurting? Because this, this is pain speaking. This is not just anger that came from nowhere. Right. And now I'm looking at him through completely different eyes. Right. And so I'm not trying to conjure up forgiveness or conjure up patience or conjure up long suffering. No, it, it flows because I'm, I'm actually beginning to empathize with, you know, wonder where he's coming from. And, wow. and I don't even, I, sometimes I will say that, you know, I'll just blow her out of the water. He's like, so what's happened in your life that has caused you to be so hurt or afraid? You know, that just comes, <laughs> that comes, strikes him out of left field. You know, well, I'm not afraid. I'm not hurt. Right, right. Well, well, you're really angry, you know, and mm-hmm. that usually comes from it. So that's, that's kind of a disarming kind of an approach, but you know, those are things the Holy Spirit's whispered to me because I paused and asked, you know, what does it look like to love him well, love her well? You know, what's going on for them that they're, this is, you yes. know, so, and so sometimes uh, asking that question will cause me to say something to a person that you're like, whoo, that took a lot of guts to, add, to say that, or that was confrontive. Well, I didn't plan on saying that. That's what I sensed the Holy Spirit was, was suggesting. Mm. Because I paused and breathed and said, fill me with your love. Help me to love this guy like Jesus. And, um, and so this, this question popped in my mind or this, yeah. this what otherwise might be seen to be a pretty invasive or confrontive question. But I was willing and able to ask it because I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me there. Right, right. So in a way, I'm, I'm asking your question by saying, I don't know. Yeah, it depends. Ahead right. of time. But in the moment, I believe... He can fill us with that kind of love and then give us language that comes out of that love and we will love in the moment. Yeah, that that's so helpful because even mm-hmm. as you're describing that, you're talking about reframing something from a me-focused kind of response yes. to a yes. them-focused kind of response, which is the, that's the point, you yeah, know? And, and there's other-mindedness. And, and kind of to take the question a little bit deeper, you know, on the, on the, on the on the bad end of toxicity it can begin to border on or step into abuse and mm. abuse mm. uh sometimes can get into what we were talking about on sunday when it comes to reckoning with our past that impacts our ability to love or impacts yes our reactions when you know certain things happen and mm. so i wondered as well if you could speak to when it comes to a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship that I've been in for a long time or mm. that has impacted my heart and now has has begun to deeply impact my love and the way that I respond to others, when you, know, when, when you talk about dealing with your past and doing that difficult work or, you know, in your, in your, if you're in the midst of those situations, what kind of, what kind of deep work is necessary mm. to, yeah. Because we know it's going to be hard and difficult, but what what does that look like to yeah. work through those things? Well, let me uh, take a stab at that. Sure. By 
saying something else that I said in the sermon, reminding yeah. us of that. The, that's what is the role of emotions. So, if I don't realize that emotions give me a window into my soul, if I either think emotions are bad, I can't trust them. Um, I need to stuff them. I need to distance myself from them. You know, they're they're they are themselves the toxic thing I need to avoid. Mm. Then that's going to block me from the ability to understand what has happened to me and where emotions are coming from. So that that was a, one of the big things I was trying to help people see because I see so much of that right. in the church today: stuffing, ignoring, medicating. Uh, we're, we're it's, it's almost like we're intimidated by the the strength of the feeling. Mm. And so it's almost another version of self-protection. Yeah. I want to protect myself by not diving into my feelings. Um, and so maybe we need a counselor. Maybe we need a good friend. Um, uh, maybe we need someone who listens well to pro- help us process. Um, these are the kind of things that I would encourage people to not play the Lone Ranger. This is one of the reasons why God's given us community right. relationships. So are, are you a safe person that I can process with? And you know, can I, can I say some things that may alarm you? Can I, can I express some things that are really troubling me without you judging me and going, Oh, so that's, you know, that that's what Jim's all about. You know, are you a safe person? Hmm. Um, and so hopefully people have that kind of safe people and lots, a lot of times they don't, but maybe that's why you need to find a counselor or, or talk to someone else that, that maybe you're not as close with, but a person who understands the importance of being safe and listening and loving by listening. Yeah. And so then, you know, whoever it is that you're talking with, um, to begin to explore, okay, so my emotions, now that I understand they're not to be avoided or ignored or stuffed, that they're actually educational, they can give me a window into my soul, you know, I begin to ask, so why am I so sad? Why am I depressed? Why do I get so angry so fast? And why does that just linger, you know? And so... Uh, I, I make this a prayer, you know, in the presence of someone else or in the presence of God, you know, give me insight, open my eyes to see. And um, I, I think it's, I do, I think it's, you know, there's some value in doing it just alone with you and God, but I, I think there's really a lot of value in finding this safe person. Yeah. And so, you know, they can ask simple questions or you can ask them to ask simple questions. You know, you know, let's, let's, like, for instance, one of the things I've done before is I've taken somebody uh, into like a little journey. Let's go back to the first time you remember um, being hurt. What was your What was your first hurt? Um, and it's surprising how many times that first hurt is a memorable hurt or a monumental hurt mm. that they either had stuffed or didn't realize the significance of it. But it it taught them at a young age. Whoa. I better not be in that situation or I better not be vulnerable or I better not be honest or I better not be around that person or, um, you know, because that, that brought great pain. And so, you know, I've done some guided praying with people sometimes. Let's go back and revisit that. So Holy Spirit be with us. Presence of the, of the Lord be with us. Uh, This is not us doing some psychological exercises. This is us, 
you know, in the presence of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is with us and reminding ourselves, I will always be with you. And so Jesus was with us in that pain. And I've even done things like, imagine Jesus standing there while you were hurt mm. and and him grieving, him weeping over that pain and him caressing you, him holding you in that pain. This is like wild stuff for some people, you know? Yeah. And I've heard people say, well, if Jesus was standing there, why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he do something, you know? And let, let's talk about that, you mm-hmm. know? Why why didn't Jesus interrupt right. that? And so we're doing some guided exploration of that pain because more than likely you haven't dealt with that pain well. And so it's just like, I remember I did a series years ago called Handling Our Hurts mm-hmm. and got so much feedback uh, from this um, by, by comparing you know, a physical wound. When I get cut physically, I can see there's blood. I can see if it got cut really deep. One time I got cut so deep in my leg, I could see, you know, white blood uh, and and bone and, you know, layers. And uh, we have a guy in our church that who's a medical illustrator, you know, who who illustrates all that layers of, of, you know, of skin and muscle and tissue. And it's like, Wow. So when when I see that, I'm like, whoa, that's not just a surface wound. Right. And that's not a paper cut. You know, it really hurts bad, but it's mm-hmm. just a paper cut. No, that's I'm gonna have to have I had when I cut my leg that deep, I had to have inner stitches oh, and several layers before they got to the stitch the out, outside. And so you like you see all that and you're like, Whoa, we better deal with that. Yeah. You know, you need to go to the hospital. Hmm. But we can't see that with emotional wounds. Right. We don't see that 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 really really cut deeply and that needs a lot more than a band-aid yep that needs a lot more than stitches we we and 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 it was like man since we don't realize the gravity of it we don't deal with it mm-hmm. well and so what happens with a wound that doesn't get dressed well mm-hmm. it gets infected now we have a whole another problem well that's what is happening when there are people can i say this kind of gross way who are infected mm. with undealt with wounds. There's pus, you know, emotional pus. You know, this is gross. But, <laughs> We're going to get demonetized on YouTube. But we, you know, yeah. <laughs> but we, we get that yeah. with, you know, right. we, we know that gangrene will sit in. Well, there's emotional yep. gangrene in people's lives. And, and so by lancing that wound, by addressing it, yeah. you know, that might cause some pain, but everybody knows that, that addressing that pain is the only way to healing. So we got to lance that Pause, yeah. We got to deal with it and then redress it, clean it, and then, you know, now dress it. And so yeah. this so is what good. we're doing by the presence of Jesus. So, he, so he's there. And so here, here's often what happens. Because we have an enemy and because we don't realize the gravity of emotional wounds, uh, I believe with all my heart that Satan um, looks for opportunities for wounding. And he realizes that is a phenomenal opportunity for me to rush in and bring my poison Hmm. and bring my toxic garbage into that wound. And so lies, these are are lies. So lies are spoken into a person. The reason why you were abused is because you deserve it. You are a bad person or you are... 
you know, you've, you've done something wrong. So yeah. you deserve this. This is actually your fault. Now we look back and we, you know, we say to a rape victim, we say to a child who's being abused, mm. how could they possibly think this is my fault? But they do. Mm-hmm. And they somehow believe this lie that, well, it's because I didn't do, or I did this wrong thing. And, and that faulty reasoning, that poisoned thinking that Satan, I believe rushes in and, yeah. and poisons the thinking. And all of a sudden there's this gaping wound that's there that gets filled with poison. And for the rest of their life, that person is carrying around, excuse me, Bless you. this stuffed belief that I'm the reason that I deserved that, that it's my fault and forgets that it's illogical. That, mm-hmm. that's, that doesn't matter. It's real. And then we live out of that and, and we develop a whole emotional approach. We develop a relational approach. We develop relational strategies that make sense in our mind that protect us from being wounded again like that. And so going into those wounds with the presence of Jesus to say, okay, let's, Jesus is the truth. He's the light. Let's let him speak his truth into that moment where a seed of a seed of death, a seed of darkness, a seed of deceit was planted into your heart. Yeah, and let's bring the light of Christ, the truth of Christ. That no, you don't deserve this. This was that person sinned against you, or that circumstance wounded you. It wasn't your fault, and yeah. you know you are loved, and you are a person of value, and and this is how God made you. This is how God sees you. And to uh, speak truth into that wounding, um, I, I'm, I know I'm freaking some people out and getting into these weeds here, but these are the kinds of things I've done sometimes with people because they're, being, they're captive, they're held captive to lies and held captive to beliefs that shape. We talked what weeks ago, we talked about how belief systems yeah. shape how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see people. So when we are living out of a toxic or a poisoned belief system, it's going to affect how we see everything. Exactly. And truth, you know, is the cleanser. It brings, it cleanses the wound. It, it's, it brings the light. It, it makes things right. And so, um, whether it's a counselor or a spouse or a friend to, to, to be to here, you are the victim here. You are, this was not your fault, or maybe it is something that you did. And so mm-hmm. let's hear the forgiveness, you know, uh, of God. And so to have another person say, yeah. you are forgiven of their words, their voice, you know, them vocalizing to me, well, my nose just itches and vocalizing to me, Jim, you are forgiven to hear those words and, yes. and not just think them, but to hear them and let them sink in, mm-hmm. the, you know, so, or let's, let's talk about this to, to pursue, you know, what are some things that happened to me in my past, you know, Oh, when my mom left or when my dad died or when, you know, this or that happened, you know, let's explore that with the grace of God, the presence of Christ. So I'm not delving into this stuff in my own strength, and my own wisdom. And let's explore that past, whatever it is, whatever it happened, and let's get it adjusted. Let's get truth spoken into it. Let's deal with it and, and to begin to recognize that that has become a a poisoned well that I'm drawing from and that I'm living out of. Yeah. 
And um, one of the things that DePito Scazzaro says in his book, uh, in his books on emotionally, emotionally healthy spirituality and Christianity and church is to do a genogram mm. um, uh, and to look back and to see the patterns that that happened in my great grandfather and my grandfather, or my uncles, my aunts, and to give any, oh my goodness, alcoholism, alcoholism goes way back or um, workaholism goes way back or um, you know, stuffing your emotions. It goes way back. So I learned that, you know, from my dad, I learned that from my mom. So maybe, maybe it's not alcoholism. Maybe it isn't something that's really, you know, a name brand sin. Maybe sure. it's a, a pattern of, Hey, whenever you get hurt, you stuff it, you shut down, you get busy doing something else. Right. Okay. I see my dad do that. I see my mom do that. And so as a little, little kid, I'm learning this is how you deal with pain. You stuff it. You put your head down. You work harder. And do my more my mom and dad trying to teach that to me? No, but they learned it from their parents. Yeah. And we just passed down these ways of processing and these ways of of reacting and responding. So there's so many and so many insights that can happen when we look for patterns in, yep. in, in the genogram and uh, yeah things like that. So that's, that's a really shallow answer, but um, it's it's a start. Well, yeah, well, it's shallow in the sense that there's, I mean, this is people's life's work at times to yeah. unpack yeah. and to be the kind of person who is a safe person who can help others mm -hmm. to unpack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I really appreciate friends that I've had or coworkers that I've had or counselors that I've seen mm -hmm. who are trained in that work or yeah. who are trained in me yeah. <laughs> and who are, who are able to point out to me, no, you're not seeing that correctly. Yeah. Um, you're, you're being too hard on yourself. You're not being, you're not recognizing the role that you played. Yeah. Um, and the funny things is, is that you could say those very same things to another person, but somehow mm -hmm. you're blind to them yep. yourself. Yes. Or you see them, but you quickly rationalize them away. Right. And right. It, it, yeah. So it's, it's so good to have someone else stop you or speak truth into you. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the, one simple and um, easy way to do that, I, I think, is to take that First uh, Corinthians 13 mm. fill-in-the-blank exercise yeah. where you take the way that the Apostle Paul describes love. What I encourage folks in my life group to do is find someone who you trust and ask them to say one thing that you're that that does describe you and one thing that that's needs good. to describe you more that's good just yeah. as of i mean that's like a first mm -hmm. you know dipping your toe into the pool of this deep work yeah. but you know the 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 reality is is that when you fail to do that deep work your body and your mind physically will send you into this place where all you can think about is survival mm -hmm. and that is self-oriented. Yep. Yep. Self-protection. Yep. And so it's in, in that sense, it absolutely limits our ability to love yeah. in these deeper ways where we're not self-oriented, where mm -hmm. we're not feeling, where we're not responding as, according to our feelings. And, uh, you know, in, in all this, we're still sort of unpacking that idea of what does it mean for me to be a, the kind of person who can love like Jesus loved mm -hmm. unconditionally, sacrificially mm -hmm. without, you know, not, not with, with respect to myself, but with respect to that person. Yes. And so I, one, one more question I want to ask before we move on from John 13 and, and talk about some other passages. But one last question is, as we're thinking about these things that trap us or these things that get stuck, you know, you, you shared, um, somewhat intent with some intensity, uh, many people get stuck 
mm. in their growth mm. in loving like Jesus in early stages. Um, so can you unpack what is it that gets us stuck yeah. and how can we get growing again? Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's lots of different reasons. Um, are you in a community of faith that is honest? Are you in a community of faith that is willing to explore these things? Because a lot of people aren't. A lot of people, a lot of churches, and a lot of community of faith, communities of faith uh, have bought the line that, that you know, let's keep the peace, let's be nice, let's not go into any hard things. Um, and uh, so that, that's an unhealthy community. So unfortunately, a lot of people grow up in churches like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or... And, and this could have caused the, the first one, you know, the, the kind of teaching that you grew up in. You know, did you grow up in a church? Did you grow up in a church that taught love, that taught Christ-like love? Or did you grow up in a church that that was legalistic and that just put more pressure on you? What kind of church did you grow up in? Did you grow up in a church that said, it's okay to hurt, to doubt, to question, to wrestle? You don't get demonized or villainized yeah. for doing those things. And some people might go, well, that's the kind of church I grew up in. Other people might go, what? There's churches like that? <laughs> yes, there are more than you might realize. And, you know, and usually if a, if a pastor or a, a leader or a group of leaders, if they haven't done the hard work, they don't know how to even talk about this, mm-hmm. let alone create a safe place where you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be hurt. You're allowed to to weep. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to lament. You're allowed to, exp- to express those emotions and to explore them. So many people are so afraid to pursue that. So you can get stuck by being in a community like that or being under leadership like that or hearing teaching that that um, has shaped how you deal with your emotions, how you right. deal with your past, how you deal with hurts. And, um, and then I think not only is is the kind of community of faith that you grew up in and the kind of teaching that you heard, uh, is there um, is has been, has there been enough pain in your life hmm. that it registered that you paid attention to it? Because you know, let's let's be honest. We don't need to explore every little wound. We there's a lot of things that happen to us. We need to go. Hey, that's life. You know, that's a paper cut. It doesn't need, I don't need to go to the hospital for a paper cut, you right. know, and let's not blow this out of proportion. And some people have experienced a life that is just doesn't have a whole lot of pain. And so they get stuck in a, a shallow love or shallow faith because life is just so protected for them. Hmm. And they grew up in a home that thought what it meant to be a good parent was to keep their children from experiencing any pain. Hmm. And so they got stuck in being taken care of by mom and dad. And they're in their 20s and their 30s. And they're still, you know, protected and they're still in a bubble. Well, you didn't help you. You didn't help your kid. You you hurt your kid by putting them in a bubble. And now they're stuck there because you haven't let them experience life. So we, we learn how to handle deep pain by handling, you know, pain that doesn't hurt so bad. We learn how to handle deep stress by handling, handling less stress. We, we build our stress muscles, our pain endurance muscles by going through those kinds of things. And so it seems wise for a mom or a dad to protect their kid from hurt, but 
actually you're you're handicapping them. Hmm. Um, so uh, I think there's also another reason why people get stuck is because they're afraid. And maybe they watch somebody else go through it and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or the pain is so deep, they're just afraid. And so they have a community that supports them. They've heard, they hear teaching that, that says this is what you need to do. They even hear encouragement. They're just, but they're just so bound up in fear. I can't, I can't do it, and I won't, I won't do it. And and fear will leave many people stuck or imprisoned. Yeah. And you know that that fear needs to be addressed. Uh, so there's a couple of things that come to mind with um, knee jerk reactions to you know how do people get stuck? Right. Uh, I, oh, let me add one more. One more. Sure. This is huge. The pace of life. I'm so oh, yeah. busy. Playing mm-hmm. or parenting or pursuing. Hey, those were all peace. Um, <laughs> um, I'm so busy and the pace of life is so fast that that either I did that as a strategy so I don't have to deal with my hurts and my disappointments or I slipped into it and didn't realize that that's keeping me from addressing disappointments, hurts, wounds, you know, abuse, pain. And, you know, I don't have time for that. Right. And so, again, it could be it's a strategy or I just slid into it. And that may be something that America 2023 is dealing with, you know, as a strategy or as a difficulty more than anything else is Mm. the pace is so fast. Yeah. I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to ponder. I don't have time to deal with that wound. I just brush it off, stuff it, move on. I got things to do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's the thing that's so scary to me about growing in this area is the, is the prospect of being stuck and not realizing it Mm. because I I once heard uh, Jordan Johnson, one of our coworkers, he, he was talking about how you can get like a piece of glass stuck in your arm. If you get into a car accident, you can get a piece of glass stuck in your body and your body will heal around it. Yeah. Yeah. And it won't get infected. It won't get agitated. There are times where it just heals around it and you have this foreign thing, this thing that's not supposed to be there Mm -hmm. that your body has just accommodated. And I, I think that there are many people who have out of necessity or out of what felt like necessity accommodated Mm -hmm. pain and you were, in the wake of an an emotional or a relational car wreck, mm-hmm. they've accommodated these wounds and these pains yeah. because they had to. Yeah. That, that's the only way. And, or they believed that they had to. Or they believed that they had to. Yeah. And so, you know, taking that, I think that's so critical, taking that time to slow down and ask the Lord, um, rather than immediately justifying my actions based off of my feelings, mm-hmm. Am I am I going about this relationship just backwards? Is, is there something influencing me mm-hmm. that's not the love of Christ? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's when you can begin to surface some of these things. But unless you take the time to do it, or unless it explodes all yeah. of a sudden, and that's often what happens, is... you won't take the time. Uh, and again, this underlines the importance of teaching. So for some people, it's the first time they heard of you know, feeling-based love or self-oriented love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, by raising these, this language, introducing this language, it can create some thought processes and, whoa, you know, I need to, I need to think about that. That's one of the prophetic 
roles of teaching and preaching is uh, is awakening people to situations and circumstances and things that have happened in their life and categories like self-oriented love. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, for some people, there's like, well, isn't self-oriented love, you know, isn't that loving yourself? And doesn't the Bible tell us we're supposed to love ourselves? You know, isn't that, didn't Jesus say, love your neighbor as yourself? So you first have to love yourself. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I know, I know people have taught that, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Right. <laughs> just, By just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to reiterate, what he's saying is that you already take care of yourself. You, you already love yeah. yourself. You feed yourself. You close yourself. Right. Okay. So what I, since you already know how to do that, now focus that love to, on someone else. And which is exactly what Paul's saying in Philippians. Don't merely look out for your own interest, but also the interest of others. Mm-hmm. He, he's not promoting self-love. Right. But he is acknowledging it, and right. he would never, Jesus nor Paul would ever um, uh, teach or affirm a uh, a trashing of yourself, right. a not caring for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're you're made in the image of God. God entrusted you with that body. Take care of it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the, one of the first rules in uh, like first aid or trauma medical treatment is you have to make sure that you're not bleeding out before you go on and help someone else. Or if you're on an airplane, right. you have to put your gas That's, you know, that's what I was thinking. And so we're not, we're not, we're not opposed to that reality, you know, and, and you know, as, as leaders, we have to address our, our emotional and spiritual health. But that is to say that, um, you know, me loving myself is not the same thing as me loving others. And, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's I think that's all that's all really helpful. Yeah. But before we move into uh the second passage, I want to take a quick pause because we are going to do another drawing right. for a what's your next step hoodie. And so I uh, got to see the the glee and the pure <laughs> delight in Mason's <laughs> eyes as he uh as he received his his hoodie. You're welcome, Mason. Yeah, he was he was very excited. He um, paid me to draw his name. Did I, he? I, yeah. It's I, funny. So Ma- Mason's a friend of mine, and he goes, you know, Clay, if you had drawn it, I would have had questions. But since Pastor <laughs> oh. Jim drew it, I feel I feel comfortable. Oh, that's but, great. So I uh, I'm wearing a what's your next step hoodie. It comes in white with black, and uh, also comes in this gray color, like like we've been saying. And so uh, let us, without further ado. Let we will draw a name. Drone roll. <laughs> Just to eschew any uh, any naysayers or any question askers, I'm going to have you. And did you take Mason's name out of there? I did. <laughs> he 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 begged me not to, but I will. I I did take his name out. All right, here we go. Man, it's so small. I think it says Kim Schmidtkins. <laughs> yeah, here. Let me let me uh, confirm. Yeah, yeah, Kim Schmidtkins. So congratulations, <laughs> Kim. Right, Kim. I will be uh, contacting you to talk about which color you like and, and those sorts of things. And uh, and you can rock it as you're greeting people on the Elyria campus when they come in the west entrance. You can wear that sweatshirt for a couple more weeks before you need to start wearing coats. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> uh, it looks right. warm. Is yours warm? Uh, yeah, it's it's nice. It's like a fleece. Yeah, I've got, I've got on the inside several and... kinds of sweatshirts. Some that are thick and warm, mm-hmm. and some that are really really thin. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It looks uh, like a pretty thick one. 
It is. It is. It, it will keep you warm. Uh, and uh, that's one of just one of the benefits of you know winning the. And by the way, thank you, Kim, and your husband and your children for your faithful service, uh, greeting people at the West Entrance at O'Leary Campus. Wow, years. I mean, yeah. some of their kids they like soon after they were born. Uh, they brought them, in, but they are in their arms <laughs> greeting people, you know, so they, yes. their kids have grown up greeting. Yes. <laughs> so, so Aaron and Kim, thank you so much. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's going to a worthy person you know, right. to, uh, to someone who's taking their next steps. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that's wonderful. And uh, if, if you're interested in winning your own, what's your next step t-shirt or a sweatshirt rather, uh, just for the record, if you've entered already, if you've texted in, you're, you're getting carried over. So you don't have to enter again each week. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that cruel, but um, if you want to enter for this following week, uh, what should the text word be? Pastor Jim? Mm. Uh, let's have some fun. Um, well, this, this, this last week we were talking about love. Um, so we say agape. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So agape will be the text word. So if you want to, uh, enter for a chance to win this, what's your next step sweatshirt, go ahead and text the word agape. That's A G A P E mm-hmm. agape to our church phone number. So that's four, four, zero, three, two, three, four, six, four, four. Uh, and you can text that in and it'll send you a little link and you can uh, write in your name and contact information just so I can uh, know that it's you and get it to you in, in the in the chance that you win. Uh, and we'll do some more drawings uh, as we continue on. By the way, did anybody give you the nickname of John the Disciple? The nickname? Mm-hmm. No. He was one of, the, one of the sons of thunder. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Barnagus is the name in the Greek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I forgot. Barnagus. I forgot about that. <laughs> But uh, I will not forget about agape because I just wrote it down. So, <laughs> extra credit good. if they spell it uh, alpha, gamma, alpha, pi, epsilon. <laughs> yes, but actually, don't do that because it won't get recognized by the texting <laughs> software. It's uh, not not prepared for Greek. <laughs> Anyhow, um, alrighty. So, uh, kind of as we as we here, let me let me check what time we've got. Yeah, we got a little bit more time here. Um, which is good because I know you also wanted to talk about a second scripture that you referenced on Sunday, but that you wanted to go deeper in on, which is uh, Philippians chapter two. And so um, can you remind us what were some of the things you were pulling out of that text, talking about um, interests of others and as we're getting into others oriented love, let me pull the text up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So in Philippians um, two, I was one of the things that I, I did not have time to talk about that I left on the cutting room floor yep. was uh, verse four, where Paul says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So that word looking um, is the word scopeo. And um, it's it's one of those Greek words. It's easy for us to grasp because we get our word scope, microscope, telescope, um, scoping something out right from directly from this Greek word. And in, in particular, it means to look intently. It means yeah. to, to study intently. So, you know, you're, whether you're studying it under a microscope or studying it you know, through, a, through a lens, that's, the, that's this language. There's multiple words for seeing and looking, and mm-hmm. this one is a, a, an intensive word. So, so in, it's, it's you know, saying to us, you know, this is going to be an exercise where you're, you're focusing in on the interest of others, where you're 
not just noticing the interest, but you're really dialing in and you're, you're, you're paying attention to. And uh, I've used this word to, dis- to in the past to talk about what a good parenting is, mm. that you're studying your child. Yeah. That the best parenting advice I can give people is you be, get a PhD in your child. <laughs> you know your child. So well, how do you do that? By studying them, by watching them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people think, well, I don't have time for that, you know, then, then you don't have time to be a great parent because you, you can't be a great parent if you are not first a great student of your child. And the reason why you want to be a good student is so I know that kid so well, I know what will encourage them, what will, you know, frustrate them, what will exasperate them. You know, so Paul says, don't, fathers don't exasperate your children. Well, you will exasperate your children if you have a one size fits all way of disciplining, or if you only look at what they've done and not, you know, you, you haven't studied them, you don't know them, you don't know, maybe they're acting out of fear or maybe there's another motive that's going on. So when, you know, it's when you, when you know your kid, you know how to affirm them, you know how to encourage them, you know how to bring things into their life that helps them flourish. Right. If you don't know your kid, you'll just, you know, try something and see if it works. Um, so, you know, all the way down to Gary Chapman's book on love language, as soon as you can, and it's going to take a while because, you know, you're not going to discover a kid's love language when they're 18 months, but <laughs> I don't know how soon Gary thinks you can, but as your kids are becoming toddlers and growing up, mm-hmm. learn that oh, that kid really, that their love language is words of affirmation or quality time or acts of service. Well, then pour, give some of that, give some more of that so yeah. that you're speaking their language and so they feel love. So in that same spirit, be a student of your spouse, be a student of the person that you're loving so that you're paying attention. So you know how to speak their love language. You know how to communicate with them in a way that's meeting them. So when you're paying attention, you will see what their needs are, their concerns, their interests, their fears, their desires, because you know, you're paying attention. So right. That's where I get this whole idea of other-mindedness is I'm focusing, Scopeo, I'm actually focusing in on that person. And by focusing in, paying attention, I'm going I'm to see their needs, their desires, their wants, their fears. I'll never see that stuff if I'm just doing a casual glance. Right. Uh, so the, the Greek word actually gives us, it helps us see this the idea of other-mindedness. Absolutely. And, and I think the reason that's so significant is mm-hmm. because it's, it's exactly the opposite of, you know, there, there are, there are other things that you can have your focus on that cause you to love in a way that harms, right? If your love is focused on mm-hmm. your emotions or on yourself, which is stages one and two, mm-hmm. then you're going to be loving in a way that's detrimental to the relationship. Right. And that's, you know, so key. I mean, it's such, it's such a practical insight that I, I don't, I'm not just serving my wife when I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know you, you talked about that on Sunday, but um, just thinking through my own friendships and my own intimate relationships, I mean, how often am I focused on my feelings or my needs mm-hmm. or what feel like needs to me or my interests? And how often does is that driving the way that I interact with or quote unquote love oh, yeah. my spouse or my, my good friends or my family members? And if, asking <clears throat> that question can be humbling. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, wow. I do it a lot more than I thought I did. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, 
in in some ways we get into a pattern of loving that's you know if you look at um, Philippians two immediately following what we were just reading in uh, verse four not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others, verse five, in your relationships mm-hmm. with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Right. And then we launch into the Christ hymn. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the Christ hymn is all, it's exalting Jesus. It's raising him up because of the way that he humbled himself. Yes. And it, and so that feeling oriented love is the exact opposite of it is. the love that's modeled it's, in Jesus. It's proud love. It's, right. It's narcissistic love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's actually arrogant love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I love how he says, in humility, <laughs> he could have said, you know, like Christ. Yes. Because then he tells us, oh, he humbled himself. So I think he gives us an example of that kind of humility. Right. So beautiful. Yeah. And I and I, I do think that that's, um, you know, when, we, when you talk about taking a, a step in learning to love with Jesus's kind of love asking these kinds of questions where, you know, how often is my love of my spouse motivated by things that I am interested in, things mm-hmm. that I need or want, or how, how much is my, my behavior toward my children motivated in that way, or my behavior to my friends, you begin to surface these, <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my feelings have an outsized, <laughs> they're playing a role that they ought not play. Yeah. Um, I, I remember reading, um, Tim, Timothy Keller's book on marriage called The Meaning of Marriage. Mm. In the first couple chapters, he really confronts this idea that mm. your feelings or your level of excitement about the way that you love your spouse should not be the fuel, the basis, yeah, uh, yeah. for for your for your love and for your behavior, yes. and that that's a lie that we've believed. Um, and I, I just so appreciated the way that you called that out on Sunday when you said we in our self-centeredness. And it happens so naturally mm-hmm. because it feels good. I'm a new Christian. Yeah. I, I, I guess yep. this is, this is what it means. This is what, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to love out of that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to slip into that. Exactly. And, and, but, but like you said on Sunday and we end up short circuiting by jumping from place to place mm-hmm. rather than, because oftentimes what happens is the feelings go away and then we're left to deal with, the things that we ignored, the yeah. things that we failed to deal with beforehand, yeah. the, you know, those, those, that inner work that we were talking about earlier, you know, you've got this glass under your skin that's getting flared up and it's starting to cause problems. And so rather than dealing with it, you just interpret that as a sign that, mm. oh, it's time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this relationship is not going to work out. Mm-hmm. I guess she's not my soulmate. You know, I guess we weren't, it wasn't meant to be, I guess I need to find some other place or right. some other person. Yeah. Uh, and that's what so many people are living that way these days. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. So in uh, kind of as we as we wrap up this conversation about relating with other centered love on Sunday, you, you mentioned a couple resources uh, that you recommended to folks uh, oh, yeah. who, who, who are wanting to learn more about this. And I, if I'm remembering, it was Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the book, The Cry of the Soul by Tremper Longman and Dan Allender is the primary author. OK, yes. So and Allender and Longman. Uh, but also, there's a couple other good books by Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb probably has had the greatest influence on my mm. relationship views and relationship theories. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, Larry Crabb, and I can see his influence in Dan Allender and in Pete Scazzaro. They, mm-hmm. They've read Larry Crabb. <laughs> yeah. um, so Larry Crabb's got a whole passel of books 
I don't know if this one's still in print, but Who We Are and How We Relate is a short mm -hmm. little book that is fantastic. <laughs> um, um, shoot, I'm, I'm trying to think of some. And there's another book called Connecting, yep. where he then talks mm -hmm. about how we, as we understand ourselves and understand each other, how that works out in relationships and community. So Connecting. Um, another book about the church in the same way is The Safest Place on Earth. And mm -hmm. so we... He's casting a vision for a church where people are uh, know each other well and uh, know themselves well and have done the, the deeper work and are then courageously entering into each other's lives and, and loving well. Yeah. And, um, um, oh, 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 maybe you should start with his book, Inside Out. <laughs> um, yes. So Inside Out is... Um, you know, where Pete Scazzaro got his iceberg metaphor, mm -hmm. metaphor I think he got it from Larry because okay, yeah. it's, it's what Inside Out is all about. And so you're, <clears throat> you're doing the deeper work of digging in and it's, you know, it's Larry Crabb is a psychologist and an elder in a church. And so he, he's, he's a, you know, PhD in psychology. And so he's bringing all of his, you know, research and his deep knowledge through clinical work to bear into the local church. And so he, he made a bunch of people mad 20 or 30 years ago by saying a lot of people who are going to Christian counselors don't need to go to Christian counselors. Hmm. I'm a Christian counselor. You don't need to come to me. You just need to find an elder in the church hmm. or a wise person in the church who loves well and get in relationship with them. Yeah. And he says, if we love well as a church and as people, we can do a lot of the things that good counseling does. Having said that, there definitely are always, there, there's, there are certain circumstances or certain events that have happened in people's lives that, oh no, you need to go to a professional. You need to go to a counselor. But right. his belief is that a lot of things, as, as an elder and as a practicing counselor, he saw uh, could have been dealt with by people you know who have done the inside out work. So uh, I recommend that book, The Highest, Inside Out by Larry mm. Crabb. Yeah. And um, I've worn out two copies of that book. <laughs> no it's, way. it's so good. Wow. Um, and if you're a big Larry Crabb, if you're starting to fall in love with Larry Crabb, read the book Finding God. Interesting. Uh, by Larry Crabb? Yes. Oh, mm. phew, so good. <laughs> These are books I've recommended people over the years. They've yeah. helped me so much. Yeah. And um, yeah. So there's some, you know, Scazzaro, uh, Allender, um, Oh, by the way, uh, Dan Allender wrote a book who, that's so good called The Healing Path. Hmm. Uh, the Healing Path. It's phenomenal. So, yeah, these are some of the resources that people can yeah, yeah. can dig into. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and I hope that that's helpful to you guys as our listeners and as those who are tuning in to watch. Uh, because, again, you know, the, these conversations, as we're digging into Scripture, digging into the Greek, all these things, it's not an intellectual exercise for us. No. It's, it's, it's very much, we believe that this, that the, the truth of God's Word will impact our lives as we cooperate with His work, mm -hmm. as He's changing us into Christ-likeness by His Holy Spirit. And Amen. so get into a, a, a group of people, whether that's a life group or one of the men's or women's groups or dig group, get into a group of people where you can begin to mm -hmm. be honest about the things that are going on in your yes. life and where you can receive that kind of um, care, where you can receive that kind of prayer ministry, and where, you can, where you can start building relationships with folks who can speak into your life and say, you know what, 
when I read in first Corinthians 13 about, you know, how, how love is long suffering, that reminds me of you mm. or, or how, you know, mm. here, here's an area, an element of Christ like love that. that I think you could grow in yeah. because this is, we're, we're trying to model a way of having conversations where you're able to surface some of those things. A way of relating. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you know, don't, don't let it end here and, and yeah, dig into these resources, but don't let it end in the resource and yeah, take the next step survey, but don't let it end in the survey. Uh, let it bear fruit in your life as you live it out in in uh, cooperation with the Spirit. I, I need to add one more thing. I'm sorry. No, I'm do it. To do wrap it. Up, but there is healing power, healing power yes. in relationships. Mm. When two people or three or four people, when people will, will love well together, God has designed the church in such a way that healing flows in those honest, vulnerable, open relationships. So it's, um, oh, it's, so it's not just me getting healthy. Yes. God wants me to get healthy so I can be a part of healing others. I don't have to have a PhD. I don't have to go to seminary. I don't have to know Greek. I can just love well and be vulnerable and, and be honest. Yes. And God will use me to heal other people. It's just daunting, but mm-hmm. amazing. And so may, may God yes. heal us and deepen us as we learn to love like Jesus. And, Amen. And may Open Door be a church that is growing in love and healing as we grow in Jesus. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So yes. we'll send you off with that sort of short benediction. And uh, if you've made it to the end of this podcast, we want to thank you for your patience and grace that you showed. <laughs> and also I want to invite you, um, would, would you give us a five-star review? Would you, would you let us know that you're being served by this ministry, whether you're on Spotify or Apple podcasts, or if you're on YouTube, go ahead and like this video, click the bell, all the stuff that all the other YouTube's YouTubers tell you to do, you know, do that for us too. Uh, and Even if it's not true, give us a five star. Yeah, no, no. Well, no. Well, I mean, you could. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we would just love to know that you're being served by this ministry mm. because um, really this is, you know, we have fun doing this, but it's not about us. We're, we're hoping to serve you well hope and to serve the church well. So yes. uh, with all that in mind, we will wrap up here and we'll join you again next week. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.